0: shortly. That might be true. But if it's not, we need to be prepared. And if it is true, we need to be prepared. How many of you, if you were to judge yourself, would confess in truth that you have joy an abundance of joy in your life. You're truly happy in the Lord. If you cannot answer that in the affirmative, then you need to listen very closely to this message tonight. God has filled my heart with some things that our church needs. As I've been contemplating revival, praying for revival, I think there are some necessary things for all of us to hear. Now, if you are living in this Position of joy, which all Christians should experience regularly. That should be the general rule for your life that you are happy in the Lord. There should be a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Not always about the circumstances, but because you love God and you are walking in His presence. Since we are praying for revival, there are things that we need to have within our character. To experience that. And once we've experienced revival in our hearts. There are things here that we need to maintain. So that we don't fall into the traps. And the ditches. And the temptations. That can lead to our downfall. The Bible tells us let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. All of us are fallen. We all have to do the same things. None of us are exempt. For God is no respecter of persons. We all have to do the same things if we're to experience the presence of God and the power of God and fulfill the plans and destiny purposes of God that we might image him perfectly, completely, as the Lord Jesus did. Now you may think, well, I pretty well messed that up. Well, join the crowd. We've all fallen short of of God's glory, and our perfect plan that God has laid out for us. We've missed it a few times, but God is gracious, and God is merciful. God wants us to be shining lights in a dark world. We've been looking at our conduct in this chapter, as Paul, if anybody... Had an excuse not to have joy. If anyone had an, a reason not to be happy in the Lord, it would have been Paul. He's been beaten three or four times. He received 39 lashes, shipwrecked, thrown in crowds with false brothers who lied about him. I mean, this guy went through the ringer for the Lord. And now he finds himself in prison in Rome. Maybe it's actually a a good place for him to rest. (laughs) Maybe that's why he's so happy finally. (laughs) All I got to worry about these guys is I'm chained to. I don't know. But he has joy in his heart because he's transcending his circumstances and he's focusing on the eternal God. And now he's relaying this message to the Philippians. He's praying for them whether I live or die I am the Lord's and I'm not sure what where to go I mean if I want to go to heaven but maybe it's more needful for him to stay here so he's he's having this whole contemplation going on in chapter 1 but for me to live as Christ and to die is gain what I shall choose I do not know I'm hard pressed I don't really know but then he gets into what really counts for the church. These people were facing trials. They were under persecution. They were suffering at the hands of the Judaizers. They were being lied to. How many Christians have been lied to by religious pastors who lay the law on the people of God, failed to impart the grace of God through the teaching of the word and bring people into bondage bring them to places where they're dependent upon the leadership of the church for their spiritual well-being. How sad. The role of a pastor is to bring people to their dependence upon God where they can learn to trust and walk with the Lord personally and have the victory imparted to them that Jesus died for. These things are in this book. It's a book of joy. It's a book of victory. Paul is telling and exhorting these people about their conduct that they should be unified and of one mind and in order to have that they must possess what we're all given freely by the Holy Spirit and that is the mind of Christ without the mind of Christ none of us will experience the joy of the Lord without the mind of Christ we will not have revival in our lives because in order to have life That's what we're bringing back to life. Revival is to to think as God thinks. And Jesus and his mind is given to us in verses 5 through 11, which we covered last week. And if you missed that, then you need to go and listen to it. Because I can't reteach everything I've taught up to this point. (laughs) All right? But here is he's talked about the responsibilities that we have with one another our responsibilities to conduct ourselves uh, as servants of God to follow the example of Christ and his conduct. And here in verses 12 through 18, it's really our responsibility before God. This is where the rubber meets the road for Christians. And so let's read what Paul says in regards to Uh, To all this. Therefore. Because of all the things that he said prior to this. As you've always obeyed. Not in my presence only. But much more. In my absence. Work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling. For it is God. Who works in you both to will and to do. For his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining. Disputing that you may be blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. And yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering... On the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. And for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. As you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Think about that. Sometimes when we're at church, we're on our best behavior. Well, you know, I don't want to see the pastor see me lose my temper of course, the pastor, you know, I don't want the people to think I'm a jerk. So I got to, you know, be on my best behavior, you know. And so we all, you know, can put on the church face. <laughs> happy, 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 you know. I'm so happy. <laughs> but you guys don't do that. You're real. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. God sees continually. I'm accountable to God, and I need to walk in that constant thought that God is watching. It doesn't really matter what you think, we do care about that, right? But more importantly, it's what God thinks. But what he says to them is, to, is that they're to work out their own salvation. You have to do it. I have to do it. Well, pastor, save me. Pastor, help me. No, I can't. I can only do so much. I can tell you the truth, but I have to do whatever I'm telling you to do, and whatever you see in me and that needs to, to, to be done. You can say the same. It's, 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 it's reciprocal in that regard. And it, notice here he says, "Not working for your salvation." That's not what we're working for. We don't work for salvation. Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But to work out, there's a process of God redeeming us. We'll talk about that a little bit more later in detail. So working out our salvation involves two things. In fear, as he says there at the end of verse 12, and trembling. Now, there are those who do not believe that the fear of the Lord is that big a deal in the New Testament now the Old Testament yeah I mean you, you you know an eye for an eye tooth for a tooth you cross the line you're going to get whacked that's just the way it is and the God in the Old Testament did not put up with stuff just whack well when I read my Bible the Bible says that he's the same yesterday today and forever so I don't believe that well yeah but in the New Testament it says there's no fear in love you know perfect love casts out all fear I couldn't agree more. But don't confuse the love of God and the fear of God with one another or that both are important because they are both important and they are both foundational aspects within our lives. We all know that God loves us unconditionally and forever. That's why he sent Jesus to die. But the fear of the Lord, this is talking about respect, not the fear that comes upon our spirits because we lack love, but this is awe and respect of God. We are to live our lives in awe of God. I I find this fascinating. I've been thinking on this for a decade or more. Turn with me to, and many of you know this, Isaiah 11 now these uh, verses one and two uh, one through three actually, Isaiah 11, 1, through three, these are verses that are talking about Jesus. And I, I you know I read I've read this, you know, a, a few times in my life. And and it just every time it was like these seven qualities of of the of Messiah uh, uh, there shall come a rod a fourth a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him one, the spirit of wisdom, two, the spirit of understanding, three, the spirit of counsel and might, four and five, the spirit of knowledge, six, and the fear of the Lord. Why would Jesus, why would he need this aspect of the Holy Spirit's work in his life? I mean, he's divine. He's God in the flesh. Why would he need this? Because there's something about humanity that we don't see God with our eyes. We walk by faith. We need this fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord is not something that takes place in your brain. It's just like salvation. Salvation isn't, you're not saved because you believe a set of facts about Jesus. Well, I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that, so I'm saved. No, no. You are saved because you heard the truth, you heard the gospel, and it, and you embraced it in your heart, and you became a different person. You were born again. That's what we're talking about in regards to the fear of the Lord. It is a spirit wrought work that God etches in my heart that I do not want to do anything that would offend my God. He is holy. In fact, this is what the whole law of Moses was really trying to convey to the people. To these minute details. Don't do this, because if you do it, you'll be defiled. I, the Lord your God, am holy, and therefore, as my people, you are to be holy. I mean, this is the command of the Old Testament. These sacrifices were so precise, and they were, they just we're trying to convey that message so I believe this whole idea of in fear is just utter complete respect for God and, and this is our prayer Look, by nature we don't have this we don't want to submit to authority as soon as the authority leaves we just you know let's just let's have fun now finally you know, you know mom and dad are not here now let's just have fun let's cut loose we don't like authority by nature we're rebellious but this fear of the Lord, this fear and trembling, is how salvation is really brought about. And the idea of working it out is that we're growing, we're being sanctified. See, the other side of this is not only the fear of the Lord and awesome respect, it's the other thing that we need to respect in ourselves is our potential to fall. We need a healthy respect and understanding of how depraved our fallen nature is. There is nothing within our fallen nature that is redeemable. God does not redeem the fallen nature. He allows our spirits to be born again and our souls are what are redeemed. Our fallen nature, He has one plan for it and it's called the cross. Crucify the flesh. Put to death The desires and the lusts of the flesh. So John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 2 talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These three are the issues that we have to deal with. These are the very issues that caught Adam and Eve and led to their downfall. Now I want to turn to jeremiah 32 38 jeremiah 32 verse 38 and i want you to understand from these verses that this is what this is where god what is god doing in your life where's god going with all this what is my what is my existence for here well the earth i think in our life here is part of a training grounds to prepare us for heaven you see, what I'm talking about will lead to extreme joy in your life. I don't know about you, but I like being happy. I don't like being sad. I don't like being depressed. I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to be optimistic. I want to be hopeful. These are. This is where it lies. Look what God says in regards to this fear. Verse I said, did, did I say Jeremiah or Isaiah? Yeah, okay. I mean, Isaiah, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> There's none of verses in that chapter. <laughs> okay. Jeremiah 32, 38. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may f- fear me forever. For the good of them and of their children after them I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good but I will put my fear in their hearts so they will not depart from me do you understand what I'm saying not what I'm saying but what God's word is saying here rather God wants to do you good this is the whole idea of our salvation God isn't up there like, okay, just go right ahead, son. Just, just try me. Step out of line there and see what I do. I can hardly wait to crush you. I mean, I don't know. Some people have this jaded opinion of their father in heaven. And they got this thing like, you know, if I step out of line, I'm going to get it. And they have no idea the, the compassion and the love that God has for us. It's because they're ignorant. They're ignorant of God's ways. They're ignorant of God's nature. And this is why we study God's Word. So that we learn the nature and character of God and His ways, so that we, we don't defile ourselves and we don't offend Him. And this is important. But I, I, again, this whole idea of respect flies, our, flies in the face of our natural desires within our fallen nature. Turn with me to Second Samuel eleven two, And I want to use David. And not picking on David. And God isn't picking on him. But David is a man after God's own heart. He is highly respected by the Jews. Right up there with Abraham and Moses. He, king, the best king they ever had. I mean, how many people that say in the Bible that they had a, a heart after God? That's pretty amazing. But even a man of that stature and of that talent. I mean, the the list of David's abilities. You know, a shepherd, a fighter, a warrior, a king. I mean, this guy was fearless. And he would, had so much integrity in not uh, rebelling against authority. I mean, he could have taken Saul out a couple of times, but he wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. Nor would he allow those that were following him to do that. I mean, this guy had it down. And yet... He had a rough patch in his life. In fact, it was so egregious that it, his, the last 20 years of his life, he suffered the effects of this sin. Now, God is able to forgive. And that's how God's forgiveness works. In a moment, in a single moment of time when you ask the Lord to forgive your sins, and we've all sinned, that sin is taken away. You are under the precious blood of his Son, the Lamb of God. We're all under that. But there are certain stingers that come with sins and we have to live with some of that pain. But God even tempers that over time as he did with David. It still was hard. He reaped what he had sown and that's the bad part of it. But let's look at, so that we can learn and avoid. God doesn't want us to fall. God doesn't want us to make mistakes. But let's look here. And this is Second uh, Samuel chapter 11. the first few verses here. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she became to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and so she sent and told David, I am with child. Now, this is one thing I know about the Bible, is that it is authentic and true, because it doesn't whitewash anything it tells the praises of men who followed god and had great faith but and it does not hide their failures and we can actually learn from this and i'm glad it's here because it's a real warning to me as a pastor i've seen and heard more stories about pastors who fall into sin than i care to ever hear again in fact, it would bless my soul if I never heard it ever happen to anybody from this point forward. This is an egregious sin and a terrible testimony before the world. And nobody is above fault, moral failure. Well, let's. What happened? I'm just going to. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, and you can make some points here, and you can go back and think upon it yourself. But he's a living illustration of what can happen even to a dedicated believer if they allow their flesh to to get the upper hand. And they don't they underestimate the potential of moral failure. As I said earlier, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now two basic things here, and this is true of all sin. He stops serving others. In this whole chapter in Philippians, you can turn back there this whole, if you, in a minute. This whole thing in Philippians is, is being a servant like Jesus. To really grow in Christ is to become like Him. And what did He do? He washed feet. He carried out the trash. He did the dirty work. He acted as a slave. That's what we're called to. We're called to serve people. David stopped serving the people. Joab, you guys and all you fellas, you, you go out there and fight. And rather than serving others, he begin, secondly, to serve himself. If you are selfish and self-centered, this is what, again, this is what Paul hit on. Esteem others better than yourself and don't be conceited. I mean, it, that's what we do. We're by nature we're conceited, we're self-centered and self-serving. And we have to recognize those things. You stop serving others and you begin to serve yourself. You're going to fail. You're going to fall flat on your face, and it's not going to be pretty. And, and in sense, four things that I see here: David was in the wrong place. David had the wrong activity. He had the wrong perspective. And he had the wrong focus. Now those are different. Perspective and focus. Let's start with the wrong place. He forsook the battlefield. For the bedroom. David should have been out on the battlefield. Serving with his brothers. As they went to war. But he chose to stay in Jerusalem. Now we know he was in the bedroom. Because he rose from his bed at even time. He's laying around. And he's being lazy. He's being idle. If you're not serving your and, and you're being idle, you're, that's one step in the wrong direction. I find that the most... I get more done when I'm busy. I don't know what it is, but I get more done when I when I stay busy than uh, and I have lots of things to do than if I've just got a few things to do. Slack off. It's not a good thing. This wrong activity was that he... That was... He, you know... What, you're the king. What are you? Be, what are you loafing for? Don't be a loafer. Don't be lazy. And because it's you're, you pretty soon you're just going to start feeding the flesh. He had the wrong perspective. He's walking on the roof of the palace. What's he thinking about? Is he looking over the city? You know, because it's probably a high elevated place there. He's looking over the city. So, you know, I'm king. I can do whatever I want. I'm in charge. See, he had an elevated perspective of himself. I mean, after all, he didn't have to go to war anymore because he's got good fighters, and he's paid his dues. I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm going to kick back. I've earned this rest. Don't ever tell that to yourself. Don't ever think retirement. You might stop working as you're working now but don't stop working our labor is not done until we close our eyes for the last time keep that perspective don't think you've ever arrived and if people put you on a pedestal that's up to them but don't you, take, don't you stand on it and he had the wrong focus he looked out over the city and then wow guys why well, gotta watch our eyes You know, women don't really have this issue, apparently. I don't know because I'm not a woman. (laughs) But I don't have my gender confusion thing. I know who I am. (laughs) We shouldn't go there. (laughs) There's just something about... First of all, let's just admit it right now. The most beautiful thing God ever made of all his creation was a woman. And Eve was probably the most beautiful woman he ever that could, was ever created, and there's just something about that physical sight that's like, wow! We lose all self-control, and our imaginations go wild. That's fallen nature. That's what it does. We have no right to that. We have no right to focus on that. We can't do that. You have to train yourself not to do that. Martin Luther said you know birds may land in your hair but you don't let them build a nest so take that to heart to look once that's going to happen the second look is up to you you can control that because if you start looking more than once you are headed the wrong direction you need to understand those things about yourself and about the fallen nature do not make any provisions for the flesh David remained in Jerusalem. He rose from his bed. He walked on the rooftop. He saw a beautiful woman. And the rest is history. And that's a history that we don't enjoy reading. So I would say be careful of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're fighting against the love of the world. The flesh, the world, and the devil. Those are our three main enemies when it comes to the fear of the Lord, of oh, the world. And this is something that's rampant in the church and the Western culture, and it's sad. I've had my own struggles with this over the years. But it's the love of Hollywood. It's lying vanity. Well, you know, I'm just going to chill. I'm going to watch this movie. And we pay others to defile ourselves. Oh, well, they're just kissing. No, they're fornicating. How can we watch these kinds of things when we know that they're egregious sins before God? We need the church, we need to clean up our act. That is not, I will say, is without hesitation to continually subject ourselves, so that is, means we are not walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not a legalist, it's just wise. Don't do it because it's defiling. It's offensive to God. Well, you know, you know. Yeah, I know. I do. I really do. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. But I'm here to exhort you to examine yourself to what really is important to you. Is revival more important to you in the presence of God in your life and the joy of the Lord Or sitting around satisfying your flesh and then walking away after you watch that feeling yucky and defiled within. I know those feelings. You choose. We all have to choose. Flesh, the world, and the devil. Do you realize how much the devil hates you? He hates me. He wants to steal from us the blessing of God's word, the blessing of fellowship, the blessings of joy. He wants to kill everything of value and importance in our life. We are in a battle. This isn't, you know, kindergarten here for toddlers. This is war. And he's playing for keeps. He knows he's doomed. And he does nothing but hate. And it's malevolent hatred. It's... We find it very difficult to comprehend the evilness of evil. He finds joy in tormenting, destroying, killing. It brings satisfaction to him. And so this is just the first part here. of The fear of the Lord. That's all there. Do you understand the trembling aspect now? Work out your own salvation in fear, in fear of the Lord, in trembling. We are going to answer face to face with Yahweh. The one who sits upon the throne, we individually, I will stand before him and I will give an account for every word that I've uttered from the pulpit, every word I've uttered in my conversations with other people. That alone is... That's really scary. I, you know, it's almost like do I even have a right to stand before the throne? He's so pure and holy, and I am so far from that. Now, we're going to face his judgment, and we're going to inf- face the inspection of our lives. Now, it's not to send us to hell. That's not the issue. We, all our sins and our failures are under the blood. We, are, we have made covenant with the Lamb of God, with Jesus. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. The precious blood of his Son atones for our sin. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You and I have no fear of retribution for our sins. We're forgiven. That is an incredibly right. wonderful thought. What, why then should we be worried about sin? Because sin hinders us. The flesh hinders us. The love of the world hinders us from producing fruit. Fruit that will remain. Fruit that will glorify God. This is what God is after. This is why we were created. That we might bring good pleasure to God bring smiles and joy to his heart because we love him and we obey him and we do his will and God uses us to bring other people into the kingdom when they see the reality that we are shining lights in this dark world of the love of God that we've experienced so this is a really difficult to understand intellectually but it's difficult to, because if we find it difficult to yield our will to him and this is what he's talking about, Paul is talking about, really, is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, is to yield your will to the Father. Will Yield our will to the power of the Holy Spirit. What we will be judged for there is how we expressed our talents. Everyone in this room has talent. Everyone in this room has Gifts. These are what we're going to give an account for. How did we use our time? How did we spend our treasure? How did we use our talents? So it's an inspection of our stewardship. And notice here, back in Philippians, as we come to the... Work out your... Salvation with fear and trembling, but notice he says, It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Aren't you glad that you you don't have to muster up the strength from within? This is something that God is so willing to do. In fact, he is the one who has to do the work. Notice here, once I yield my will, then it's His will that begins to take hold within my heart. And it it is Him who begins to work in me so that He might work through me. God God can work through you without working in you, but that's not optimal. Optimal is cooperation with God. For it is God... It is saying, Lord, in prayer, surrendering, I want to fear you, Lord. Please etch the fear of God in my life. I can't do this. I don't fear you enough. I don't respect you enough. I'm carnal. I don't want to be carnal. I want to be spiritual, Lord. I want to hear your voice. I want to obey you. And whatever you struggle with, this is the thing. This is working it out. Lord, this is a problem in my life. And you name the problem. I got to overcome this. This is this has got to change. And you're desperate with God. And when you're serious and sincere with God, and you seek God with all your heart, man, He's all over you. And here it is. Oh, beautiful. You're yielded. I can I can do this. and it, and the obedience over the long haul, over a long period of time of learning to just yield and surrender, it produces a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. It will happen. It will happen. And so this whole thing of learning to avoid the expressions of the flesh, learning to live in the Spirit, learning to walk in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God does not work in a vacuum. He needs something to work with. That's why I preach and teach daily devotions. Spend time with God every day. Feed your spirit. You feed your spirit, you will grow. You starve your spirit, you're going to fall into the flesh. You're going to get ripped off. Satan will attempt to steal from you. He will attempt to kill you. He will attempt to destroy your spiritual life. He wants nothing more than to do that. And understand that he's, he plays for keeps. And then Paul gets real practical don't complain do all things without complaining don't argue I mean these are things that are what we well why do I have to do that well why can't they do that why don't they do that why are they doing that you know complaining and arguing and disputing I mean this is just we got to quit this is what the children of Israel did they were more interested in getting a drink and seeing, you know, than, than they were of knowing the refresher. <laughs> They'd rather be refreshed by r- physical things, the water and the bread, than the one who's providing it. And see, this is the choice we have. Isn't it more important to to, lo- to know God and to love God? You know, man shall not live by bread alone, saith the scripture, Right? We need the Word of God because we, by, we are spirit beings. Yes, we have biological needs. God will meet that. So let's not fall into the trap of grumbling and murmuring like the children of Israel. fact is, Joshua... Uh, I can't remember. I'm trying to think of his last name. Joshua Wooden. He was John Wooden, the coach, who lived to be a hundred. His father taught him two sets of three. This is what I tried to uh, I never had it before when I was teaching my sons, but I'm giving it to my grandson and my granddaughter. And this would be good for you. It's good for me. It's good for anyone at any age. Two sets of three. Don't lie. Don't cheat and don't steal. Second set of threes, don't whine, don't complain, and don't make excuses. Now, John Wood was born in like, you know, 1915. And his dad was quite old when he was teaching him this. So this is 150 years old coming from him, but he got it from the scriptures. This is probably part of it right here do all things without complaining and arguing, disputing. You know, there are some people that, you know, they've got to disagree with everything. You know, you can say this is white. No, that's not black. Well, it's, it, no, it's black. That's not really black. It's gray. I mean, dark gray. I mean, sometimes we can argue over the dumbest things, right? <laughs> Just watch that. Be careful with that. But what does he say here in this little list? Be, become blameless harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. He wouldn't have said that if it were not possible. It doesn't mean we're not, we might not fail in it because we can. Blameless means innocent of wrongdoing. You can live that way. I can live that way. Harmless, I'm not causing other people harm. I'm not harming other people. I should be able to handle that one. You should be able to handle that one without fault. means you're unblemished. You know, if you learn the long road of obedience, if you do those things, you'll get better at all this. This is kind of like riding a horse. The more you ride it, the better you get. Riding your bike, the more you ride it, the better you get. Going to the gym, the more you lift, the easier it gets. You can start adding more weight, actually. You know, this is what happens. These are natural outflows of sowing to the Spirit and reaping of the Spirit. And then the key to all this is in verse 12 holding or 16 verse 16 holding fast the word of life holding on to something this is like having a legal document that says you own this property you and I because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross have legal right to the blessings that he achieved by his life and through his death. What Jesus Christ wrought on the cross is now available to us. We have legal right. This is what he said in John's Gospel. To those who believe on his name, to them he, you, he ha- you have the right to become sons of God. It's legal. It's perfectly justifiable. And so, in our union with Christ, because of his substitutionary sacrifice, because of the perfect life that he lived, the unblemished sacrifice, that is put on the ledger of your life, and it's available to you. How many people are millionaires, and yet they don't, spiritually speaking, yet they fail to draw on the account that's laid up for them? Would to God that we would draw upon what God has provided for us. And so this covenant that we have with Christ, this imparted righteousness is placed on our account. This is what Paul's talking about in his letter to the Romans. Our position is in Christ is justification. God treats us just as if we'd never sinned. And then the experiential position what we experience day to day between now, the time we're born again, and the time we leave is sanctification. And so in this, we have forgiveness of sins, justification, and power over sin, sanctification. So all of us have this. It isn't just for, you know, pastors and leaders, worship leaders. It's for the body of Christ. It's for any and all believers. We have power over sin and last the last point in this whole idea if we're to experience revival experiencing revival and living in it living in that newness of life and that fullness of joy is how you look at your life Paul said to the Ephesian elders there in Acts as he's ready to go to, to Jerusalem The last time you'd ever see him. That he did not count his life dear unto himself. If you're holding on to your life and you think what you want to do and what you feel is more important, you'll never experience any of what I've talked about. You have to learn to just completely make yourself a living sacrifice. This is what Paul's talking about here. Verse 17, we'll close with this. Yes, and if I being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. What was a drink offering? Well, this was the cup of wine that was poured on the burnt offering. It would pour the wine on the burnt offering. Just a complete Sacrifice that was completely consumed upon the altar. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. Living sacrifice. That was a dead one. We are living sacrifices. The problem with us is we want to crawl off the altar. That was dead. It had no chance of crawling off the altar. But this is our will. Our willingness to stay on the altar and be sacrificed. So the drink offering symbolized the voluntary surrender. Of everything. And in Paul's case, he wanted, he was concerned that others, others others-centered, Paul was, that they would experience the joy of the Lord. Wine expresses that. It's a symbol of that, gladness. And the burnt offering, again, pictures Christ offering himself without spot to God on our behalf. think about it in the sacrificial service the animal was slain cut into pieces washed with water and then laid in order on the fire on the altar and was wholly consumed and you think about that picture that for a moment we'll probably hit this a little bit on Sunday as Jesus was crucified his body went out of joint he lost all strength and he, and he was an absolute physical wreck. His joints came out of place. I can't imagine the horrific pain. But this is this whole idea of cutting it, cutting these sacrifices in pieces, and then you know washing it, and then putting it back on the altar in order. And it was just grotesque, awful. Oh. This is what we need to see in what Christ went through. It was grotesque. It was awful, from a physical standpoint at least. How incredibly horrible it would be to suffer like that. But this is what he's talking about. This kind of living involves suffering. It is it is suffering to deny the flesh. It is suffering to forsake the world. It is suffering to crucify the pride of life. But to live otherwise is to consider God, our Father, as unworthy of our worship. Because that's what it is. When we come to this in our lives, and we're willing to go this way, we are saying in our hearts, God... Our Father, you are worthy of worship. You are worthy, the most worthy person for me to lay my life down. And this is what I want to do. Father, we ask that you do this work in us because as we've read tonight, Lord, it is you who works in us. Some of us may not be completely ready for what we've talked about but Lord you know how to bring many sons and daughters to glory and so Lord what we are saying tonight Lord is that we have heard this truth these hard to hear truths sometimes and Lord we're, we're willing to submit ourselves voluntarily because we know that this will bring the greatest joy And we'll experience life to its fullest extent on this side of heaven that we can. And so put your angels round about us. Protect us from ourselves. We don't want to fall. We don't want to, to bring reproach to your name. We want to truly love our neighbor as ourself and to love you, Father, with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength. And so we yield to you now we ask that you do this work as gently as you can in us and as thoroughly as needed for your namesake in Jesus name Amen